Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. And if you're listening to us on podcast on WKXL, streamed live, however you're hearing the sound of my voice, I hope that you will find your way over to the subscribe or follow button on whatever podcast platform you use to listen to your podcast. Your subscriptions really do help us out as do your ratings and reviews. It all helps more people to discover this show. Tune in. We've had a bunch of new subscribers recently. We really appreciate it. So thank you. Now, when we last checked in with our guest here today, back in June, we were talking about dominant issues in the public discourse and on the agenda, like healthcare, inflation, spending, economic recovery, and debt. A downward slide in President Biden's approval had begun to tug downward at the time on Democratic members of Congress, while New Hampshire's Republican Governor Chris Sununu was still riding high based on voters' assessment of relatively strong performance during the pandemic. But in recent weeks, both in New Hampshire and around the country, Afghanistan, the Delta surge, Hurricane Ida, and mixed economic news have changed what's on voters' minds. And as we inch closer to next year's elections, voter perceptions of elected representatives have continued to shift. So today, we have a new poll, one of the very best polls, either in New Hampshire or around the country. It's from the St. Anselm College Survey Center. The executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm is Neil Levesque. He oversees this outstanding poll. And I wanted to bring it not just to our New Hampshire radio and podcast listeners, but to our national listeners on Beyond Politics, because New Hampshire is such a good barometer for the country. So, Neil, welcome back to Beyond Politics. Well, thanks for having me back, Matt. I'm looking forward to it. This poll is very interesting and certainly will shed some light onto the snapshot that we see not only here in New Hampshire, but nationwide, as you mentioned. Exactly. And I, I hope people will lend an ear toward, it, toward this with that idea in mind. This is a snapshot. It's a look at New Hampshire. But N New Hampshire is a pretty good barometer for what's going on nationwide. So, Neil, in your mind, what's the big headline out of this poll? The big headline is that Biden, uh, due to many of the issues that you just mentioned, uh, hurricane Afghanistan, I think primarily the economy, COVID's coming back. I think that for whatever reason, his numbers have started to decline more rapidly. And what we see is that the, the people in, in our poll are saying that America is on the wrong track by 62%, uh, up from 55. Whenever people feel that, that way and those numbers uh, go up, what we find is that people um, sort of start looking at who's in elected office and who they're, uh, and, and, and it, it reflects negatively on who's, who's serving. And so in this case, I think Biden, uh, his numbers have dropped because of that. And that could also affect um, the, some of the congressional races, not only here in New Hampshire in 2022, but nationwide. So in essence, one of the interpretations here is that when things begin to feel bad, when the news turns bad, people get this opportunity to tell a pollster how they feel about whoever they see as being in charge. And they essentially are answering the question. We may be asking, how do you feel about President Biden? But what they're sort of telling you back in a way is, I don't feel very good about anything right now. And so you see some of that reflected in President Biden's numbers. Absolutely. And so 
you know, these are snapshots, but what happens is, is that people, people say, you know, this is piling up, this is piling up. And whether it's fair or unfair, uh, the person who's the incumbent will be tagged with these negative feelings. And we've seen this over and over again. You know, you can, you can have a natural disaster, Hurricane Katrina, for example, uh, that plagued the Bush administration. And, you know, terrible tragedy. People don't feel good about it. They're troubled by what happened. And all of a sudden you see that the incumbent uh, numbers start to drop. And so again, that's what we're, we're seeing. I, I think that there's a lot of uh, unhappiness about the Afghanistan situation. And there's just general unease. I mean, we thought, I think a lot of people thought we were, we were done with COVID. And now we're seeing that that's not the case. And we're learning that people are wearing masks more and we're coming back. And I think that's had a, a negative effect as well on people um, to a great, great extent in states like New Hampshire, where people, you know, a, a month ago were not wearing masks in a grocery store. And now they're back wearing masks and talking about canceling events. Yeah. I, I, and it's a really tricky political dynamic if you're in elected office or you're running for office. And especially if you're running for office and you're in the same party as the party that holds the presidency, because you end up in this situation of saying to voters implicitly, who are you going to believe me or your lion eyes? You might say as much as you want, Hey, things aren't that bad. This, the situation here is actually this. You see this with inflation, for example, you have plenty of economists who say, we're not that worried about inflation. The Fed itself is saying, look, the core inflation numbers, this is a short-term effect. We totally expected it. It's going to settle down, not to worry. But out there in the real world where people live, it doesn't matter if fancy economics analysis is saying this isn't that big of a problem. To some degree, what people are saying is, all right, great, that, that's cool. But meanwhile, I don't feel great. You know, I'm wearing masks again to the grocery store and milk costs twice what it did a couple of months ago. And I'm not happy about it. And I'm going to take it out on the people in charge. Right. Whether it's fair or unfair. And that's what happens. And remember that Biden, uh, July 4th, they basically declared victory over COVID. And so they're going to be playing that this fall where, you know, was the president planning correctly? Did, did they do enough? You know, we saw this, you know, Remember the uh, one of the most famous situations with with this type of thing was President Bush flew onto an aircraft carrier and you know declared that the war was over and mission accomplished. That, that mission accomplished was the big huge headline and of course after that this is a very similar situation you know people can play the clip and say well I guess it really wasn't mission accomplished so uh, I think we see the same thing and. Um, you know that you when when you get elected is you know all of a sudden you are responsible for almost everything that's going on, and you're right. People don't feel good. You know there's, there's an article today about auto dealers who usually on on the you know these holiday weekends like Labor Day weekend they'll they'll um, have all their big sales and everything else and and they're not even going to be open because there's no cars to sell, and if there was a car to sell it's ten thousand dollars more than it was a year ago. And so those types of consumer issues, the price of gas, the price of milk, that kind of thing can really start to drag people down 
and they they uh, respond to pollsters when they call and they talk about this. Well, and of course, everything that you just said definitely applies to the major headline of, of the news of the last month, which is, of course, the pullout from Afghanistan. Now, you took your poll, as you said, polls are snapshots. You took your poll August 24th through 26th, the height of the Afghanistan pullout. So I want to ask, what was the impact of that particular issue being so prominent in the news in your findings? Because nationwide, if you look at polling averages, for example, on 538, which is a, a pretty good polling average, it finds that over the course of the month between July 26th and August 26th, President Biden's nationwide approval went from a summer high of 52.7% to 47.47. It's a pretty precipitous drop during that time period that coincides with all of the Afghanistan news being in the headlines. So is that the major driver here? I think it is a driver and it's a strong, uh, aggressive driver of his numbers going down. Here in New Hampshire, his numbers went, uh, basically swung 19 points since he took office. So he's at a 44% positive, 55 negative. So he's 10 or so points under underwater. Um, and if you ask people, are you more inclined to vote one way or the other because of Biden's uh, work with Afghanistan, 43% of voters are more now more inclined to vote Republican. There's a real red flag for Democrats. Um, and the other factor on Afghanistan, which is rather interesting, is the president, each one of his press conferences and responses to Afghanistan was always trying to link the previous administration, the Trump administration, who signed a peace deal uh, with the Taliban and tried to sort of assess some blame for it. But our polling shows that 44% of, uh, uh, of respondents believe that Biden is responsible for the situation in Afghanistan, and only 13% believe that Trump is. Interestingly, Trump isn't even number two. Bush is number two. 27%, pretty sizable number, believe that President Bush is responsible for the troubles in Afghanistan. By the way, incidentally, Obama only 4%. So the trying to shift blame here to I'm, I'm dealing with the cards that were dealt me uh, has not worked for the president at, at all. He owns Afghanistan to a large degree, and we're seeing that with his overall approval ratings. That is really interesting because it does go back to that dynamic we were talking about a moment ago of who are you going to believe, me or your lion eyes, because this is an issue that analysts have actually looked at pretty closely who are experts on Afghanistan. And they point out, look, for example, one of the problems we've had in the pullout is the loss of material, helicopters, uh, weapons to the Taliban. And analysts say a large factor in the loss of that material was actually the Trump drawdown from about 13,000 American troops to 2,500 over the course of the Trump administration. And they'll say, look, Really, that's the nuance here is that a lot of that was driven by the prior drawdown. But as much as the Biden administration may be shouting that talking point, your poll is saying it's not resonating. People aren't buying it. And that kind of leads me to my next question, which is we see it in the right track, wrong track numbers that you just cited. We see it in this drop in Biden approval rating. Clearly, there's been a rush of bad news in July and August. 
Does that suggest that the position he finds himself in now and the Democrats find themselves in is fixable in a way as the public moves on? Let's say we got a rush of good news over the next few months. Is it is it possible to claw this back or do you see this as part of a longer term and more permanent decline? Well, certainly things can change and, and you can get some really good news and the president's numbers can bounce back. But I would liken this to sort of Hurricane Katrina, to mention that again, which is you saw sort of the public saw a presidential leadership failure, very similar. And then from there on out, the president had a difficult time each time there was a challenge and he tried to demonstrate leadership where the public really didn't have the same uh, confidence in the president that they had previously. So I think going into the fall, no matter what issue comes before the president, this Afghanistan thing may not, it may not be the thing that voters will vote for in 2024, vote for against the president in 2024. But what it did is it showed this weakened leadership. And over time, that, that's a hard thing to dig out of. Uh, and I think the president is he's trying to sort of change the subject with the, the hurricane and the aftermath of that, trying to show leadership with that, trying to dig out. But I do think that this is a sort of a permanent stain that he's going to have to deal with, whether it's whether it's uh, warranted or not, it's or fair or unfair. Uh, it is what it is, and the president is is dealing with these uh, the aftermath of the leadership failure. Speaking of how durable the issue of the pullout from Afghanistan is, as you alluded to, it, it does seem like the public has largely decided, as of now, that President Biden does shoulder most of the blame for the things they didn't like about the Afghanistan situation. And in fact, in your poll, there's a little difference between Democrats and Republicans on this. But by and large, and especially among independents, it's just not very good news for the president. So do you see this as a durable political attack issue for Republicans over the next year? Every bad thing that may unfold in Afghanistan, and unfortunately, I think it's it's likely that there's going to be more bad things that happen in a place as unstable as Afghanistan, is each one of those going to be an opportunity that Republicans are going to use as a political opening to go after President Biden and the Democrats? I think they will. I think that they'll remind voters this is this is if, if you, this is a, a much deeper issue as far as terrorism, uh, patriotism, the military, all of that. But on a political level, when your opponent uh, is viewed as screwing up, you try to remind them as many times as possible. Don't forget Afghanistan when he's talking about this because he screwed that up and he's going to screw this up. So the, the link will be there. But alluding to the poll, you know, what you mentioned was that Republican voters, 97 percent disapprove of Biden's job performance. That's I mean, that's basically in polling. That's that's as good as it gets. And so if the Republicans are lockstep saying the president does not have good job performance. 85% of Democratic voters approve. So he's a little bit weaker with his Democratic base than the Republicans, which are solidly in step uh, saying he's not doing a good job. So 
there's a little weakening there. And I think that you're going to see that 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 could be trouble, too, for Democrats as well. Let me ask you about the flip side of that, though, for a second. Might there be a silver lining in those numbers? Because if you're seeing this overall decline in approval rating and right track, and as we said at the top of this discussion, to some degree, voters are using this question of right track, wrong track or approval of the president to express a larger feeling, a larger gut feeling of I don't like what's happening right now. So if a Democrat who generally supports President Biden, generally supports the Democratic Party, is giving uh, using this as an opportunity, this poll, to say, I'm not happy right now. Do you think that the overall dynamic, given how polarized we are and how attached people are to their political home base, do you think that that 85% number represents an opportunity for Democrats to claw some of those voters back? Well, I think that a lot of times it's, Unfortunately, in politics, it's become Red Sox versus Yankees. And so, you know, my guy is the Yankees, let's say. And, you know, you get a call from a pollster and you're not necessarily willing to say, I disapprove of the president, but you might not be as strong as you were before. And I think that members of Congress right now, they're sort of showing this with the Afghanistan thing where some are some Democrats are saying, you know, this was a debacle, but they're not completely attacking the president or the administration. But they are, it's a weak, there's nobody besides Pelosi, there's nobody up there saying 100 percent he did the right thing. This is great. You just don't see that, for example, with the four members here in New Hampshire. In fact, Senator Shaheen is pretty uh, outspoken critic of the whole Afghanistan pullout. So um I'm not sure that they're ready to abandon their team, but they don't feel good about it. One more question on the Afghanistan situation. It, it, it was interesting to see that your polling matches the findings of some other polls that support for resettling Afghan refugees who may have helped the U.S. is almost universal. 98% of registered Democrats say that the U.S. should accept some or all of these refugees in your poll, and 83% of Republicans. Now, this has emerged as a fault line in Republican politics in recent years, in recent weeks, as former President Trump and some anti-immigration Republican Party leaders have turned against the idea of accepting these refugees. Where do you see this issue going in the next few months? Is the popular support tied to the news for resettlement and therefore likely to slip, or is it more durable? This is interesting because you're right. There's a lot of people who gain traction by being sort of anti-immigrant. And here we have this situation where people, you know, are, are overwhelmingly saying they, they would take these um, immigrants into their community. And I think it's a sympathy thing and their front page. But there's definitely a, a problem here for Republicans because they're so anti-immigrant and yet you have this personalized case with Afghanistan. All right, Neil, let's turn to some of the rest of the poll, some of the rest of the leaders who are going to be on the ballot in 2022. In terms of the generic ballot, could you remind our listeners, what is the congressional generic ballot? What does that mean? And what did you find in your poll? So the, the generic ballot is very interesting as a test to see where people's minds are as far as Democrats or Republicans for their own congressional seat. And so are you more likely to vote for a Republican? So you don't name the Republican, 
or are you more likely to, to vote for a Democrat? And the reason why you don't want to pull a name in is that it, it adds personality essentially to the polling and you want to see whether or not people are more inclined to vote Republican or Democrat. And we've always seen that Democrats have held an edge here in New Hampshire or have at least sort of been about even, but now for the first time uh, in our polling, we have uh, the Republicans leading 46 to 43. Now, let me just size up for people to sort of understand New Hampshire. New Hampshire is a small state. We're very political, very civic minded. There's a lot of activity in politics, but we're very split down the middle. And so elections here in New Hampshire are usually won by just a few points. Um, and so when you have a number 46 to 43 in New Hampshire, leaning Republican, that is trouble for the delegation, essentially. The four members of the delegation here, the two House members are obviously up every two years, and we have a Senate race coming up. And so if the it, they are all Democrats currently in office, and so if the, if the generic ballot leans Republican, that is a real red flag for those incumbent members here in New Hampshire. And uh, it, it is trouble, I think, for them. Just to give listeners some context, looking back at the history of your measures of the generic ballot and this this kind of just broad test of do you want to vote for Republicans? Do you want to vote for Democrats in terms of your representation in Congress? Going back to February of 2018, you saw a pretty whopping advantage for Democrats in your poll, a, a 12 point advantage, 47 percent to 35 percent. And then in April of 2018, heading into that 2018 midterm election, which was a true blue wave, you actually nailed the generic ballot in terms of what we saw play out in November of that year. You had an eight point advantage for Democrats. That turned out to be about how it came out on the final ballot, stunningly accurate. And as you follow it along, there's been some fluctuations in recent years and in your poll, but fundamentally we've seen you know, five points, seven points, occasionally eight on this generic ballot question, and now a three-point advantage for Republicans. So this is not a small deal. I mean, this is this is a, a baseline for people who would kind of hand wave this away. This is a, a pretty substantial change versus a baseline that has been very consistent for you over the last two years. And it showed with who represents New Hampshire. So we've, we've had Democratic representation uh, uh, amongst our, uh, at least our delegation going to Congress uh, for quite some time. So you're right, this is a major shift. And so if you take some of the names out of it uh, and you just say, okay, who's gonna show up? Who's motivated to, to vote next year? And how are they gonna vote right now? Uh, that definitely leans Republican. And so we're seeing more and more warning signs. You know, I mentioned the Biden ap approval rating, the wrong track number. This is, this is all sort of a recipe for a potential Republican uh, election, essentially, in, in a year from now. Uh, so there's plenty of time, but certainly that, that, that number right there, the 4643 lean uh, Republican is definitely something that is, is notable if you're going to be on the ballot in 2022. One of the hottest, most closely watched races in the country in 2022 is going to be Senator Hassan's reelection. Now, we've talked on this show before 
about Senator Hassan's prospects. She is a first-term U.S. senator. She was a relatively popular three-term New Hampshire governor before that. So she does have a bit of a name brand in New Hampshire. But in your polling, you've shown a pretty steady decline from her 2018 and even early 2020 approval numbers to today. We've gone down from hovering around the 50% mark in late 2020, now down to 43 and 44% over the summer. But interestingly, that decline has stabilized across your last two polls. And you see the same pattern with Senator Shaheen, the senior U.S. Senator in New Hampshire, a decline in her longstanding, fairly steady job approval, but a little bit of a stabilization or rebound between your June and August poll. What do you think accounts for that pattern? Well, I think overall, I think what we just mentioned about the wrong track. So you have these these troubling issues out there that people believe that the country's on the wrong track, the Biden leadership issues, and those all contribute to Democrats having having trouble. Now, when you mentioned Shaheen, she always holds just a little bit higher than Hassan. And there's something to that. There's a reason why. And and I, I uh, you know, looking at these numbers, I cannot determine what that is, but it but it's out there. And so we've seen numbers, as you mentioned, in 2018, Hassan had an approval rating of 57% to 36% negative. Now, remember, in a state like New Hampshire, that's pretty well, it's kind of a purple state, leans slightly Democrat. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good number. She's fine right there. And now, uh, just a few years later, she's at 44% positive to 48 negative. So they say upside down, essentially. Now, when you are a year out from a major election, uh, that is a sign of trouble as well. Now, I'm going to add another benefit for people who are not here in New Hampshire, that if you turn the radio on or you turn the television on the last, let's say, three to four months, there's been already about three to four million dollars spent in this race. So there's been a lot of television advertising, which has said Senator Hassan's doing a great job. And so when your numbers are still upside down after that kind of spending, uh, that's also a red flag. So remember, national groups, they're doing polling just like we are. These special interest groups that run these television ads and pick races that they're going to try to find across the country where they can put some money into it and have an effect on the U.S. Senate. Um, when they're seeing numbers like this as well, that can be trouble too, because they, they at some point they say, she's not gonna be able to do it or she is. Um, she she pay, faces a potential opponent too, uh, who has very good poll numbers, that's Governor Sununu. And that's a problem for her as well. If she had these numbers and there was a sort of a no name opponent against her, someone wasn't didn't have a fundraising potential, didn't have the brand in New Hampshire, it would be a different set of circumstances. But because she's potentially facing a popular governor, uh, that's another added problem for her. Now, let me just say this, that um, you know we don't know what will happen in this race, but in the context of the nation, there's a 50-50 Senate. This is the Joe Manchin US Senate, essentially. 
and the there's a lot at stake and so national groups and money groups and all kinds of different interest groups are looking across the country and they're saying where are we going to put money in these races where can a race be won and when sununu shows up a popular governor with 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 polling now our our polling shows 49% to 41 in a potential matchup between sununu and hassan that is a sizable number in a state again that leads Democratic. So I think that this is a, a red flag for Senator Hassan. I think that, um, you know, they're well aware of this. There's plenty of time between now and the 2022 November election. But certainly this is one indication that we could have a big U.S. Senate race here. And it could be something that we've never seen. And we have a lot of elections here in New Hampshire, a lot of notable ones, presidential primary elections. But this thing could be the mother of all elections. Definitely something to either dread or look forward to, depending on one's interest in that kind of politics. Speaking of which, I, and I do want to turn back to Governor Sununu because there's an interesting pattern going on in your polling as regards him. But I do want to talk a little bit about members of the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, for people who aren't familiar, New Hampshire has two House seats. There's the first congressional district and the second congressional district. You and I are more personally acquainted with the second congressional district. This has been, in general, the more stable of the two districts. It is, by all measures, still a, 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 a bit of a swing seat. It's a seat that either party could conceivably win, but the pattern has been a lot more stable there. And now there is a 10-year incumbent Annie Custer, who's occupying that seat. But you're showing, interestingly, that her polling and her approval has taken a real dip in recent months and is now in perhaps a danger zone. Do you see Congresswoman Custer as being potentially politically vulnerable in this climate? Well, that's a great question. So she's never polled very well. She, For some reason, her personality and sort of her as a candidate never really makes a connection uh, to voters to the level we see with, say, someone like Senator Shaheen. Um, so in our polling right now, she's at 43 positive, 42 negative. So she's just slightly over the top. Um, interestingly, she doesn't have the same problem that Senator Hassan has, which is there's no real branded popular candidate who's announced against her. And so as a result, you know, if, if you're looking at this race, you're saying, okay, her numbers in polling never really shine, but there's no one to vote for necessarily, at least so far, that really has the name brand and the popularity uh, in New Hampshire, like, uh, like a Sununu, for example. And so she's kind of doesn't have great poll numbers, but she doesn't have the bad situation where she has a candidate of renowned uh, potentially challenging her. So is it a flippable seat? I think anything is always possible in politics. And, uh, you know, I think that these numbers for her, you know, she would probably, I would assume, want stronger numbers, particularly a 10-year incumbent. Uh, but they are what they are. And, um, and again, even though we've seen this and she hasn't pulled very well, you don't see Republicans standing in line to, to challenge her. And I, just before we get off the topic of House members, I, I can't, I can't 
just skip over the first congressional district. This is one of the most interesting districts in the country. It literally flipped back and forth. It, you know how people talk about a bellwether? This was like almost a literal bellwether. I mean, not literal in the sense that we traditionally mean it, but, you know, kind of almost literal. It swung back and forth, I think, five times in a row. And now we have Congressman Chris Pappas. And again, not looking particularly strong. So I have to ask, is Congressman Pappas potentially in a vulnerable position? Or maybe, you know what, maybe that's kind of a dumb question. Of course, he's in a vulnerable position. It's the first congressional district. But do you anticipate in this climate that this is a that this is an advantage Republicans situation? And might that push him to consider seeking a different office? Well, I think, you know, just to show you how split this is, Pappas has a 42% approval and a 42% disapproval. So it's right, it's a razor blade, right? And you have this district, which, as you said, flips back and forth. And so here's some dynamics. You've got that, are you going to vote for a Republican? Are you going to vote for a Democrat dynamic going on? You've got the wrong track number. You've got President Biden's numbers sinking. You've got redistricting that's going to happen. And it could happen that Republicans in the state Senate and the state House decide that they're going to make that first congressional district just a little bit more Republican. And so if that were to be the case, you've got a potential where this seat again could flip. And, you know, the truth is, is that we're seeing, even though it's over a year out, well over a year out, a whole series of candidates stepping up to potentially run against him. A lot of Republicans are lining up. This is the opposite of the Custer seat. And so they see that there's a potential vulnerability as well. And so we're seeing all these dynamics. You know, if they redistrict um, that first congressional, very much Republican seat, and Pappas, who's been an executive counsel here, uh, he has experience in the state house. He's very well known in New Hampshire's largest city. He knows the district. He knows the state. I could potentially see that he would say, you know what, I've always wanted to lead our state and uh, potentially run for governor. So that is something that I think is probably in the mix, although, you know, he, I'm sure he would say that he's focused on the people of the first congressional district. But, you know, uh, when you have somebody that served in the state house, it's always a potential that they want to run for governor. So we could see that. Well, speaking of governors. I did put in the parking lot that we were going to return to the question of Chris Sununu, the very popular governor of New Hampshire and a very interesting political case study in himself. As you alluded to a moment ago, New Hampshire has voted pretty blue over the last decade. And yet with a, an entirely Democratic congressional delegation, Chris Sununu has thrived as a Republican governor and has maintained a fairly high level of popularity. But in your poll, you do see a little bit of a slippage in his approval. So the question is, was he just on a bit of a political sugar high over the last year because of his relatively popular performance on COVID? And so hence, there was really nowhere to go but down. Or are people beginning to see him in a different, perhaps more political light as 2022 approaches, and he mulls the possibility of running for the U.S. Senate? I think it's both. And I think that when he does an interview, for example, 
it's almost the first question. Are you running for the U.S. Senate? I mean, he can't get away from it. And he's tried to push, push it off by saying that he's going to make a decision in, in the winter uh, so that he can stop being sort of a political candidate and continue to lead the state through the COVID situation. This is a person who has been in our living rooms every afternoon for the last year dealing with COVID-19. He speaks off the cuff and has a personality that I think resonates very well with voters. He comes across very well on television, very, very natural. And he is a very gifted politician. I think it's shown up. I think, you know, he's, you're right. His numbers have shrunk slightly and his negatives have gone up slightly. I think some of that is we had a controversial budget that he signed and maybe some of that is bleeding out onto the budget situation. The fact that he is mentioned all the time is, is running against Hassan. Uh, you know, and being a political candidate that could could uh, show up in that decline. But overall, you know, if, if if you had to buy good poll numbers, these are the numbers you'd want. And he certainly is very, very strong. And another factor about Sununu, a lot of politicians during the Trump era either became Trumpers or non-Trumpers. And some of the non-Trumpers, uh, people who uh, were... Uh, opposed to the president uh, during that time really were flushed out of the Republican Party. And we saw people who latched on to Trump really strong. They're, they're not, their numbers are not so strong. But Sununu seems to have swam those shark-infested waters without getting a bite on him. And uh, he has gone through this Trump situation where he, when he didn't agree with the president, he said it. But the president didn't go back after him and he didn't seem to get tagged with any of the Trump baggage. So he's gone through that as well. It's a very he's a very interesting political uh, person to watch. Uh, and certainly all eyes are on him as he makes up his mind about running for the U.S. Senate. It is absolutely a fascinating political case study, because, again, you have it's a purple state, but it's a state where Democrats definitely perform strongly. And yet he's been popular, stable, and he's somehow navigated being in, you know, a, a relatively strong democratic state. He's navigated the Trump presidency. He's navigated some of these complicated governor questions of mask mandates and shutdowns and, uh, and school reopenings. And he's barely gotten a political scratch on him. Speaking of which you had some, some findings on vaccination and COVID and mask mandates. What did you find on that? Because it does seem, again, to be a bellwether for what's going on in the discussion around the country. Well, 50% to 47% support a vaccine mandate. Now, vaccine mandate in, in the state of the live free or die state, that's our state motto, uh, it is extremely controversial, but 50% uh, support for a vaccine mandate, which is rather interesting. Um, you know, when you get into some of these issues where, you know, should the governor say everybody needs to wear a mask? Sununu has held off on that as we sort of see this new Delta variant. He's saying, no, I have faith in the, in the vaccine. Uh, you don't need to wear a mask. I'm not gonna tell you do. If you want to, you can. So it's been this sort of live free or die situation whether or not that changes and then his numbers change as a result. But we've, you know, COVID has brought out some strange bedfellows, you know, where you have people who say, well, no, you know, we all have to get vaccinated. 
uh, and those people are over here in politics. And then there's other people who say, no, this is, the, you know, you're, you're, even though it's for the collective good, you can make your own decisions up. Um, we do have a high vaccination rate. We were in the top 10 of states as far as being vaccinated. I think that just recently changed. Um, and we haven't had the, the, the Delta variant surge, resurge as some other states have. And maybe that's the result. But he has certainly navigated. He hit, unlike Cuomo and some of these other governors, uh, Newsom, who have sort of tried to lead during COVID only to their numbers have dropped down. Sununu has been fairly consistent and probably one of the people who has really led the, their states more than any other, I think, nationwide. As you look at the trend lines from your last poll and even previous polls in 2021 to this one, what stands out most to you? And I ask that because what I'm really thinking about is the, the, the trend line for the future. What will you be keeping a closest eye on based on the trend lines that you've seen up till now in the coming months? Uh, and when, when you look at your next poll, what's the, what's the first thing you're going to leaf to to say, huh, I wonder what's been happening on that? I always look at the presidential approval letters, uh, numbers, the wrong track number, and of course, the generic ballots are gonna be very indicative of what's gonna take place next year. Uh, off polling, I always watch the stock market as well. I always find it to be a, a great thermometer as to what's gonna happen. Uh, so far, so good on the stock market, um, but I think that some of the, the other numbers I hear are very troubling for Democrats, but I'm not surprised. I mean, they, they won the presidency, now it's time to govern. Right or wrong, fair or unfair, uh, you get tagged with the with the issues that are going on in the in the day in the current period. And here we have a resurgence of COVID, and all the troubles around that. And I think that uh, some of that is reflecting, obviously, on the ballot, and will probably reflect next year in the twenty two election. And so, if we had to sum it all up, you're looking ahead to see where that overall top trend line heads over the next few months. And it sounds like what you're saying at this point is, of course, it's not good news for Biden and the Democrats at this point, but things can change. Let's see what the news environment is like in the next few months. Absolutely. I mean, if we have to go into complete lockdown again for COVID, if, if we don't have the money to borrow again to push push out into uh, COVID relief. These are huge issues that could be problems. But I'll add one more. The Texas abortion issue, I think, could also be a winner for Democrats. And so I'm watching that closely as well. Hey, you know what? That text, I know we're, we're bringing this up at the very, very tail end of the show, but that Texas abortion vigilantism, oh boy, that is... That is some crazy, crazy stuff. All right, not enough time to get into that issue. Maybe we will when we have you back after your next poll. We'll see where that goes. Neil Levesque, St. Anselm's Institute of Politics. Thanks so much for running all of this down with us and giving us your analysis. Thank you, Matt. This is a great show and I look forward to the next time.